0: Welcome in to the Full Tilt Debbie podcast on the Full Tilt Dynasty Network of Podcasts and the True North Fantasy Network of Podcasts. Now for your hosts, John Harrington and Andy Starr.
1: Also John Harrington. And my fun fact is I'm currently in my first C2C draft. And of course, I'm crushing the competition. But this very pod is being used against me. And I've been sniped multiple times. And people are actually sending me clips from this podcast of like Jacory Brooks and, and players like that trying to snipe me,
2: <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful on these podcasts, man. You got to keep some secrets every now and then. Uh, but I'm Andy Star at A Star FF. Real quick before my fun fact, uh, Full Tilt Dynasty podcast this is going to be on the Scott Fishbowl Podathon this Saturday at twelve thirty, I believe, right after Mike Wright and late. Right before Shane Battier, I might have got that backwards. But my fun fact is uh somebody left these Bud Light necks at the uh Fourth of July barbecue this weekend, and these are horrible. This is if you ever wondered what Bud Light tasted like watered down. This is it. It's <laughs> horrible. It's, it's so true. I, yeah, it's I don't know who, I, why. Yeah, they decided I, I bought to make them.
1: There were BOGO uh, a couple, like a couple weeks ago. And I was like, ah, screw it. You know, it's beer and I got it. And man, no. that has, those two six packs have lasted quite a while. <laughs> I, I think I finally killed them on. Oh, yeah. It, just cause I was like, oh, I'm out of everything else, but man, they're not good.
2: <laughs> I had to switch to truly's because it was just so horrible.
1: Ooh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Speaking of horrible there's a lot of shit going down in uh, in the college landscape. We have uh, a lot of conference realignment and, you know, things getting pretty nasty out there. <laughs> so, um, Andy, why don't you go ahead and tell me a little bit about what you think of what's already happened. And then we can go ahead and get into, you know, like what we think is going to happen. Because obviously it's not done.
2: Yeah, so obviously the two big dominoes that fell late last week were USC and UCLA uh, jump and ship from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. Um, last summer, we got Texas and Oklahoma who are leaving the Big 12 set to join the SEC. Um, and yeah, like you said, there's a lot of dominoes yet to fall. It seems like the Pac-12, from all the reports, there's multiple teams applying to join the Big 12. There's still a lot of... Uh, rumors that Stanford, potentially Washington, Oregon are going to try to, you know, jump on the coattails of USC and UCLA and move over to the Big 10. Uh but it's just a lot of movement and then obviously the ACC is just sitting on their hands waiting for somebody to make a move over there. And you know, we really don't know what's going to happen in the next week really. I mean, it, it could happen anytime. There's teams like Notre Dame, are they going to stay independent? We don't really know what the uh final implications are going to be we just sort of have to sit back and uh watch the the train wreck or you know the puzzle pieces fall into place i guess but it's it's definitely an exciting time in uh college football
1: Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, I think i read something about Notre Dame, you know, whether it was actually someone from Notre Dame or just someone talking about it, saying, like, it's it's almost going to be impossible for them to stay independent. I um, mean, you know, like, it just they can't keep it up. And I know, obviously, they have a, a great history and and, you know, basically their own network and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think when it's all said and done, these super conferences are just going to make it to where they really can't be their own thing and they're going to have to go somewhere. Um but yeah, I mean, there's there's already so, so many big pieces. But you kind of touched on it, but like the Pac-12 is dead, right?
2: <laughs> it seems like it's dead. Um, it's Oregon's not going to stay. They have no incentive to go, and it, it's it's coming down to money. You mentioned, I mean, you mentioned Notre Dame. They can't stay independent, and that's because of these TV deals. Like the Big Ten is going to sign a massive deal, probably with Fox or maybe NBC. They're going to have a game on every single time slot on Saturdays. Uh, because they've got teams in every time zone Uh, and they're going to dominate an entire channel. And then you think, okay, Notre Dame had that NBC deal, which was, you know, keeping them above a lot of their competition for a long time, but I don't think NBC is going to be, you know, or any other network for that matter is going to be paying up for, you know, that type of just one single team when they're seeing these other networks that are just going to have these premier games with these, you know, historic teams, every single time slot. It's going to be, it's, it's all money is what it comes down to. And, but yeah, the PAC 12, they really, the best they can hope for now to even remain a, a conference is to just, you know, cannibalize the, or I don't want to say cannibalize, but take on the, the mountain West conference. And just, you know, at that point, they're going to be an inferior conference. I don't think, I think they're dead. They're, they're the best they can hope for is to be the new mountain West.
1: I mean, obviously, we for the longest time it's been the Power Five and the Group of Five. Um, you know, we're gonna have to come up with <laughs> new nicknames here. But right. I mean, do you think it's gonna get to the point of the Pac-12 basically being a Group of Five level conference, um, or do you think just because it's the Pac-12 and and everything that it'll still be considered higher a higher level or higher grade than those guys?
2: Yeah, I think absolutely it's going to be a second tier conference, and that's kind of what, you know, we wanted to touch on here a little bit is like, what is this going to mean for Debbie and like what we do? Because obviously we had the power five conferences. It was obviously SEC, the level of competition was always a little bit better. Maybe the big 10 as well. And we gave a, you know, kind of a plus to players that did well in those conferences. But generally speaking, if a player played well in a power five conference, we could project them forward to an NFL draft capital. So now we're going to get, these two super conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten. And we don't know what's going to happen to the ACC. The Big 12 seems to be okay, maybe like a 1B type level conference, depending on what happens. It sounds like a lot of the Pac-12 schools have a have been trying to get into the Big 12. So that'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, but it's really going to affect you know how we do these player evaluations. Because like I said, it used to be if – if a player has a 30% you know, market share as a receiver in his first two seasons in a power five school, you could say, okay, he's an early breakout. He's going to be an early declare and he's from a power five school. If he gets day two draft capital, we we like him in, in the NFL. Um, as what, what it looks like now, you know, with these teams that are going to have, you know, 20 teams potentially, you know some of those theories may end up you know you might see some out, more outliers for one and also uh maybe some false positives i guess is the right word where a guy performs well in one of these super conferences but he's on an inferior team and we have to maybe decide does that really mean as much as it did you know 5 years ago or two you know 2 years ago when they had You know the standard power five conferences and then yeah like the pac-12 with it being what i think is going to be an inferior conference you know those numbers aren't going to mean as much either so it's going to be interesting to see and you're a guy who that's that's created models for drafting and i'm sure uh some of that stuff weighs into how you do your statistical analysis and it's going to change a lot of a lot of these draft models uh and I, I do think you know I'm not a film guy but I do think film guys are kind of guided by the analytics community in uh, sort of identifying like which guys to pay more attention to mm-hmm. and it's 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 it really just has ripples throughout the entire uh, analysis of what of what we do it for fantasy football
1: yeah that's a great point I was actually just thinking about that uh, the other day and I'm like you know, I, I have certain uh, discounts that I give for the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and then, you know, the SEC, the ACC. Like, I I all I weigh them a little differently in the models. And it's not usually, like, substantially. Obviously, once you get into, like, G5 schools, it's a little different. You know, then I, I start getting a little crazier with the discounts. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, especially for the Pac-12, like you said, it's going to have to be a pretty substantial change now. But even the Big 12, um, I don't even know that I would say the Big 12s, like it's probably it's in a much better shape than the Pac-12, of course. But I mean, you're talking about teams like UCF, BYU, uh, Cincinnati, like, I mean, these are quality schools that have that have done like been ranked and everything recently. So I guess it's probably, you know, once again, it's not nearly as bad as the Pac-12, but these aren't. <laughs> these aren't Texas and Oklahoma and, and, you know, Florida and whoever else, you know, like, so I, I still don't know that the, the big 12 might, you know, still be considered kind of like a lesser conference, but, um, Arizona, Arizona state, Colorado, Utah, like those are all being talked about leaving the PAC 12 going to, uh, to the big 12, you know, do you, would you still consider it a, like a, a power five conference at that point? Or do you think it's kind of in between, <laughs> I, I yeah. guess you already said that. You said like one B or one. Right.
2: B, yeah. I. I. Yeah. At this point, I don't. I don't know that there's a, a distinction right now that we could like compare it to. Maybe the American Athletic Conference because they've typically had the better G five schools, but I think they're a little bit better than that because they still got you know Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Baylor, TCU. Those are still really good schools. They're going to get some Pac twelve schools in that you know Colorado and Utah have been pretty good obviously UCF and Cincinnati Cincinnati Cincinnati's just in the college football playoff so I think the Big 12 is going to be okay it's going to be I would say like a a level above what the American Athletic Conference is now and you know just the status of those to the two super conferences it's not going to be at that level but it's going to be a much more competitive league than you know some of these lesser conferences obviously the you know the the ones that it it took from American athletic and then, you know, the Sun Belt and all the mountain West. Those aren't going to be uh, on that same, same level. Um, but I was, I was talking before the show, the big 12, you know, may have been saved by Texas and Oklahoma, you know, announcing that they were leaving last year because that did give them that opportunity to grab BYU, grab Cincinnati, grab UCF and to sort of get a leg up on, what now now we're seeing happening to the the Pac 12 where it's just a conference that's in ruins it's not going to it doesn't look like it's going to you know survive this it'll be something but it's not going to be anywhere near what it was
1: yeah Now, Lucas is bringing up that there was an agreement last year between the other conferences to not cannibalize each other uh, after Texas and Oklahoma left because, you know, it was kind of the start and everyone was wondering if it was going to happen last year where all these super conferences were going to be made and then it kind of calmed down pretty quickly. Um, Do you think that they'll abide by that agreement or do you think once the money starts flowing, they're just going to be like, sorry about your luck, guys? (laughs) Yeah,
2: and if I remember correctly, it was sort of the ACC and the Big Ten that kind of had that handshake agreement but now it's looking like the Big 10 made this move and now the ACC's you know hasn't done anything and they still have got Clemson obviously and Miami and Georgia Tech UNC and Duke who are good basketball schools which you know we don't talk about basketball but that still matters monetarily uh and now they're probably sitting there, these schools actually, you know, these individual schools thinking, all right, well, these these schools are joining the Super Conference Big Ten SEC. They're going to be getting these exclusive TV deals. What's the ACC going to get? They're, they're not going to have the, you know, the bargaining chips that these other conferences have. And they might be looking out for themselves. And I think we are just waiting for the first ACC domino to fall. I think it's probably going to be Clemson or, Miami, who's in a big market, uh, who's Miami has a good program, obviously a good historical program, and I think that's going to be a big get for either the SEC or the Big Ten, and it's just a matter of who can scoop up the first ACC team, and then we're going to see probably something similar happen to the ACC as to what happened to the Pac-12, because the ACC really doesn't have anybody that they can go out and get at this point. They're behind the, the eight ball at this point.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of crazy because I've always held the ACC to a slightly higher standard than like you know Big Twelve or or you know Pac twelve. But you know when it's all said and done, you know they're probably going to have to drop down a little bit because they're probably going to lose. They just don't have the they don't have the buying power that the you know SEC and and now the the Big Twelve you know, or the, I'm sorry, the big 10, you know, like they, they got out in front of it. Like they did it right. <laughs> you know, whether it's right or wrong or whatever, whatever you want to say, they're doing it right by getting out ahead of it. Because when you start losing schools, then the other schools go, well, what the hell about us? You know, like, we got to get out of here too. And they start freaking out. And uh, you know, like I, I know Lucas wanted us to touch on, you know, like w- what do you think is going to happen with like an Oregon or a Washington? I know they're being recruited by, uh, by the big 10 as well. And so do you think they're going to end up staying or do you think the Pac-12 is going to have to like do everything in their power to, to keep them?
2: Yeah, so obviously this all comes down to money, which we've said a hundred times already. Um, Oregon has Nike and Washington has the Seattle market. So I do think that that's a good target for the Big Ten. Sounds like Stanford is also somebody that they've been talking about. Yeah. Um, and I also just want to touch on what Lucas said with Notre Dame. Uh, he mentioned that they were playing, uh, you know, with ACC teams obviously in the COVID year and they uh, play in their, in their basketball schedule as well. And just hearkening back to the money thing, like the, the Notre Dame has these rivalries with Michigan, with Michigan state, with Stanford, with USC to go back a hundred years. And if you're talking about a, a game that you want to put on TV and make money on, those are the type of games you can make money on. You it, Notre Dame doesn't have any rivalries in the ACC. Yeah, so yeah, they're not going to
1: make a bunch of money. Uh, Notre Dame versus North Carolina. You know?
2: <laughs> no, so I financially, I don't think the ACC has anything that the that Notre Dame wants. Uh, Notre Dame wants money just like everybody else. And the big 10 can now offer that they didn't need the big 10 that because of their NBC deal. And I think they might need them now. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of Notre Dame, you know, realizing that they need them and it might not be fun to admit for them. Uh, so maybe the big 10 just needs to like, make it think that it's Notre Dame's idea that they're joining. I don't know, but, um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what that goes, but it's, yeah, as far as Washington and Oregon, I think they're potential big 10 targets. Um, and then Lucas also mentioned kicking out underperformers. So he mentioned Rutgers, uh, for the big 10. I don't, I don't think that will happen just because Rutgers brings in that New York market, which they've used Madison square garden a lot, uh, for their championship games in basketball and other events that they hold. Um, but SEC and Vanderbilt, I think that's a, a a possibility, and the Big Ten. I think teams that were kind of like in the Big Ten after the last realignment, like Nebraska, who don't really fit in with with the Big Ten, might see you know what the Big Twelve is doing and jump back to the Big Twelve where they have some rivals, uh, you know, because. I keep saying money, but this is what it's all about yeah, is money. That's,
1: that's what it's all about. <laughs> so. And we have one of our favorite listeners, Thomas Tipple, uh, in the chat. He's asking us, how much does this change scheduling? Um, you know, obviously, when you have super conferences, then you have to kick out some of these uh, Western Alabama games and and stuff like that, you know, like not to say, obviously I know like it sucks for those tiny schools because like, that's where they make like half of their money for the years by playing like an Alabama or, you know, like one of these major schools, but you know, the, the major schools don't care about that as much, you know, because they're going to be making the money from everything else. So I do think it's going to change scheduling to where you're going to see more, you're going to see more, like, or better games, you know, you're going to see more good games, but on top of that, you know, you might start seeing, uh, going into, like, the college football playoffs, you might start seeing, like, guy, teams that are, like, three-loss teams, um, you know, we've seen some one-loss and two-loss teams, you might even see a three-loss team that, that gets into the college football playoff just because their schedule was insane, you know, and, and they had to go through the SEC East or whatever and, and, and make it all the way through. And, and next thing, you know, like, yeah, they lost three games, but they are the one of the best teams in the country.
2: Yeah. The scheduling is going to be strange because it's, it's looking like at least the SEC and the big 10 are probably going to have upwards of, you know, they have 16. Now they're probably going to be at 20 by the time 2024 rolls around. So, you know, that's 10, 10 teams per division in each conference. So obviously you can't play everybody. I mean, you could, you could play nine games in your division, but that, that means you're never going to play half the league, which I don't think they're going to do that. So there's going to be teams that don't even play teams in their own division. Um, So I think that is interesting. Uh, And I I wonder what it'll do to some rivalries. Obviously the last conference realignment kind of got rid of a lot of these historic rivalries, I'd like to see some of them come back, but with the way, you know, if you have a 20 teams conference, the schedule isn't going to allow for you to play the same team every single year, aside from maybe like one, two rivals at the most. Um, But I would, I would assume maybe just probably one Uh, Michigan. Well, probably two, because you got Michigan who's going to play Michigan state Ohio state every single year um, and teams like that. But Um, yeah, there's not going to be any of that FCS fodder as much, which the SEC has taken advantage of for the last two decades or, or more, uh, which I'm, I'm kind of happy to not see those games because it's just, it doesn't mean anything for what I don't want to watch it. You know, it's fun to see the Appalachian States upset the Michigans from time to time, but it's really not something you see too often. So I tried to
0: throw this in the chat, but uh it was becoming way too complicated for me to type out the <laughs> ACC is switching to four three team divisions to where you're going to be doing like what every conference does alternate your home and away each year among your three or your Sorry, I'm got I got this confused I think it's three four team divisions and so you alternate your home and away every year with the uh three other teams inside your division and then you get to play a home and away every four years with the other teams. So similar. So it'll, it'll, it'll kind of I be like the
1: play. NFL right now where like, you know, every year it's like, okay, this team, this conference plays, or this division plays this. And then you also play the NFC East this year, like that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. So what they're wanting to do is like in the days of old, I guess, uh, whenever you were having, uh, you made sure that you played every team on your home field and on their uh, home field before you graduated wherever you were a student athlete there. So if you stayed your four years, got your degree, then you made sure that you visited every stadium at least once and you had every team from your conference inside your stadium. Don't know how okay. that'll work with these 16 team super conferences or even 20 team, but that's what the ACC is supposed to transition to, not this year, but now with realignment may not even get a chance to, but that's what they were supposed to be doing in the very near future.
1: I mean, it it seems fair as hell. I I mean, I I like it. I like the concept. Like you said, once they start changing over to like 20 teams, is it going to be possible? Um, And I don't even know that the ACC is ever going to have 20 teams. So, you know, like that, that might not even matter for them. Um, They might be lucky to have 12 teams when it's all said and done. You know, (laughs) So I, um, you know, I I like the idea. I don't know if it's going to work with the super conferences um, but then you had also asked about if this is going to speed up the playoff ex- expansion talks and obviously like anything any changes are gonna possibly change those but I mean the earliest anything can happen is 2025. Um, you know the contract for the the, the current college play fo- playoff system is through 2025. Doesn't sound that long, but I mean, you know, we're still talking about a handful of years before we get there. So um, they can talk about it. They can do whatever they want, but we're not going to see it for at least a few years. If ESPN wants expansion, I feel like
0: ESPN can get that expansion done because they're already talking about discontinuing all of their ACC deals to help teams move to other conferences. But that's my opinion.
2: Yeah, I think it, probably will speed up the conversation. Um, I'm thinking four, maybe it's at four right now. I think six teams is possible within the next, you know, 2025 is what John said. Um, I think six is possible at that time or eight would seem more logical, but especially with these super conferences, you're going to have teams that, you know, you're going to have four schools that are, you know, legit contenders in a single conference. So, it's it's going to be important for you know ESPN like you mentioned to have those games and uh, you know everybody that deserves to be there has a chance to to play for a national championship
1: yeah i i think no matter what it's always going to be less than what people want you know we we have 4 now people want 16 or 24 or whatever. And I, I think what you said is, is probably a lot more in line with what's actually going to happen. It's going to be six. It's not going to jump to eight. It's not going to jump to 12 or 24 or whatever. It's going to jump to six and then it's ju- going to jump to eight. But it's going to be a very long process. You know, I'll, I'll be old and gray and we'll be talking about how we finally have eight, you know, in the college right. playoffs.
2: <laughs> so, Andy as for Debbie players, does this change your outlook on players' potential? uh outlook and yeah we kind of touched on it earlier but yeah i think just having these big conferences uh opens up uh you know a chance to have the you know what i was saying earlier where it was easy to pick out you know early breakouts and uh these dominator scores from the power five level now with these super conferences you're gonna see some false positives where players at lesser teams in these big conferences might not mean as much as, uh, as the, 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 the bigger schools. And additionally, you know, some of these bigger schools might not be hitting those metrics and you're going to have some outliers that do hit. And then obviously, like we talked about the PAC 12 isn't going to, uh, isn't going to be considered into that a tier yeah. of conferences.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think, one thing that will probably be pretty easy is a, a, a stud that hits is gonna be a true stud because he's gonna be playing against some better competition they're not they're not gonna have the as many of like the oh they had 300 yards against once again like western Alabama or whatever you know it's it's gonna be a, a more difficult schedule so if a guy gets you 1400 yards receiving guess what he's probably pretty damn good Um that thing, but I think we've touched enough about this ongoing situation because we have no idea at this point. We're gonna we're going to find out at some point. It's a lot of it's fun. Gonna, yeah, it is. It's fun to talk about, but it's it's going to take some time, and it's not going to be the last time that we talk about it. Uh Why don't we go ahead and take a break, and then we can dive into uh, to some more info?
0: Well, it's kind of hard to not be into Trey Lance in fantasy, right? Because I mean, it's just like it's just too. It's just a layup. I mean, especially it's th- it's also with the coach where it seems debatable if, like, Kyle Shanahan ever wanted to coach RG3. Is, I feel like there's, like, conflicting, like, lore there in Washington on who really wanted RG3. But they had RG3, and, like, they knew what to do with him. And, you know, this time, I, even though it seemed like every fiber of Kyle Shanahan's being wanted Mac Jones, like, he drafted Trey Lance. So, like, he didn't draft him to not have him run.
1: Gotta love Patrick. I always love uh, listening to his pods. That was that was a great one. Um, so we we went a little longer on the <laughs> on the conference talk. But like I said, you know it's it's great it, great uh, to hear all of your thoughts. And and I thought you you really articulated it very well. But we also have a little over under game uh, that we that we played last week and so i don't know if lucas wants to do it again i think he did it last time um he can go ahead and and do it or i can introduce it either way all right so i'll go ahead here
0: and so today on over under we're going to be looking at two of the best offensive minds in the sport today and that is lane kiffin and oh my gosh how did i forget the usc coach's name lincoln
2: riley Thank you. Dear (laughs) Lord,
0: major brain fart. Sorry, I'm slightly an SEC elitist, but looking at Lincoln Riley, Lane (laughs) Kiffin and USC and Ole Miss. So, guys, over or under on USC and Ole Miss going into
1: 2022. So, I... I felt like this one was pretty easy for me for uh, USC and a little more difficult for Ole Miss. So I'm I'm interested to see before we actually get into the numbers, would you say the same thing or do you think that uh, that you had a little more difficulty with one or the other?
2: I kind of felt the opposite, so that's kind oh, of interesting. No. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I'm I'm excited to hear your things. Your how we, your uh, train of thought is too.
1: All right, so obviously I expect USC to be a, a much better this year than than they were last year. Um, what they have six wins, seven wins, whatever they had four. last year, four wins. Wow, okay, so I, it was even worse than I thought. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, as bad as they were and everything, you know, like they still have to play a lot of the same teams. They got blown out by UCLA and Stanford last year. Like they lost by multiple touchdowns. I I want to say it was the UCLA game. They lost about like 30 points. Um, so it's not a given that just because you get better, you know, it, be, you know, being like, yes, their offense is much better. They have better coaching. They have better QBing. They have better wide receivers. Like they're off. Oh, well, I mean, their, their wide receivers were pretty good, but, uh, Drake London missed what half the year or whatever. So I'm not, I'm hoping for yeah. the best but i also i, I love addison you know I, I love williams i you know I, they they have quite the squad there so they have all the pieces um I don't get into like the defense and everything i don't know how much better their defense is gonna be but honestly I don't even truly care like their offense is gonna be pretty damn good but they they still like i said they still have some tough uh you know games that they have to get into and that's before they even play you know like the, the 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 rougher schedule that they have like Utah, Notre Dame and and you know teams like that so i think that the line's set pretty well but if they lose one of those games to UCLA or Stanford and then they lose to Utah and Notre Dame all they have to do is lose one other game and they're you know, and they're done. So like I, the, the over-under is set at nine and a half. Like I'm pretty easily doing the under. Like I, I, I think that it's going to be good, but it's the first year, you know, with new coaching system, like a whole new everything. Um, while they have some easier options, you know, e- easier matchups, you know, for the rest of the, of the year, I, all it takes is one loss. And, and like I said, they had some pretty big blowouts. So I, I say pretty easily I would bet the under.
2: Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, they do have the two tough road games against UCLA and Utah uh, and some potentially challenging games at home with Fresno early on in the year, um, Washington State, Cal, and Notre Dame at the end of the year. Um, we talked about USC a couple of shows ago, so I won't get too much into it, but you know, we talked about the lack of defense. Their defense really didn't improve from last year, and the defense was god-awful. We obviously know Lincoln Riley is going to shape up the offense. Caleb Williams is there. Mario Williams is there. Jordan Addison is there. They're going to be closing in on 40 points a game. Um, But I could see them getting into some track meets with those better teams. And it's just going to be a race to see who has the ball last. Um, So I mentioned those six games where it's going to be kind of a, a track meet, just offenses going gangbusters against each other. And I think it's ambitious for them to win four out of six of those which is realistically what they would need to do to get to 10 wins um so yeah they got the completely different look on offense but the bones of that four win team from a season ago is still there i feel like nine wins is their absolute ceiling so i'm with you on the under there
1: like I said, I, it just seemed really easy. I mean, I don't really bet, mostly because I'm not allowed to in Florida, but uh, you know, I, or at least I'm not allowed to online or, or on an app, but um, let's go ahead and get into Ole Miss. This one's a much lower level. We have uh, the over under at seven and a half games, uh, but this one I, I struggled with a little bit more just because, you know, it's SEC, you know, like there's a lot changing for them as well. Obviously coaching changed. Changes, uh, QB changes, all the same stuff, but a lot more uh, competition as well, uh, at least until USC gets into that uh, Big Ten. But uh, with that, oh, actually, I started. So why don't you go ahead and tell me what you think, and then I'll, I'll talk about Ole Miss here.
2: Okay, yeah. So, yeah, completely different look on offense. It's like the same story, except a different team, obviously. So Matt Crayle's gone, Snoop Connor, Jerry On Ely are gone, Don Drummond's gone, all off to the NFL. Uh, but again, like USC, they plundered the transfer portal for the new look. So they get, strangely enough, they get USC's former quarterback and their tight end Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg. Uh, they get one of the best running backs for, you know, in our Debbie community. And what I think in the NCAA in, uh, Zach Evans from TCU, they also get Ulysses Bentley. Who's a nice, uh, capable running back who played at SMU previously Had some big seasons there. And they get a dynamic pass catcher in wide receiver Jalen Robinson, who had a huge 2020 at UCF before uh, he was injured last year. And then he played in August Melzahn offense, which kind of limits wide receiver production as well. Um, so offensively, I don't think they skip a beat, even though it's literally a completely different team. I think the QB play might take a step back. I'm, I've been pretty vocal about my uh, trepidation with Jackson Dart. But yes. they improved everywhere else. Uh, and I think they open up with a season with four easy wins. They play Troy. They play at FCS School, Central Arkansas. They play Georgia Tech, who no longer has Jameer Gibbs. So they have nobody there. And then they play Tulsa. And then they get their first test at home against Will Levis in Kentucky. Uh, so that could be a good game. But then they get another three easy wins, in my opinion, against Vandy Auburn and LSU. I I put LSU in there. They might surprise me with Brian Kelly and, you know, how he takes over that team. But there's obviously some quarterback issues there, some running back question marks. Um, uh, They just lost Deion Smith to academic reasons. He's probably going to go to JUCO. And then their last four games is kind of a murderer's row where they play Texas A&M, Bama, Arkansas, and then their rival Mississippi State. But out of those five games where I think they could potentially lose, I'm I'm going to say they could take probably one of them. It's probably not going to be Alabama or Texas AM. Those are probably chalk those up to losses right now. But if they can beat Kentucky at home in their fifth game, I think there's a realistic chance that they open up 8-0 and we can cash the over three weeks before Bama even comes to town. So for me, I'm hammering the over. Give me uh,
1: over 7.5. Yep, And I agree with you. I have them at eight wins as well. Uh, the only thing I, I said, they were going to be five and one after six weeks, I was giving them the Kentucky loss. Um, I, I was giving them the, the benefit of the doubt against LSU just with everything that's changing with them and everything, but that, that might be naive of me. I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess we'll actually see if uh, Keishon Boutte actually plays or not. And then, you know, maybe that'll make a difference, but <laughs> uh, I, but Hey, we agreed. Uh, so that, that worked out pretty well. Yeah. Uh, what, why don't we take another quick break and then we will get back to uh to some players that we want to talk about?
0: AJ Brown looks really good in Dolce Cabana sunglasses. He looks phenomenal on all the Jacob Sanderson Twitter banners. And hell, he looks great breaking a bunch of tackles. But what AJ Brown is is a wannabe Debo Samuel in a situation
2: that is not going to provide him the opportunity to garner the necessary targets. The receptions needed to return value as your dynasty wide receiver three. Therefore, he should be comfortably sitting outside of your top five without question.
1: I actually have them outside of my top five. So I, for once, I agree with Tommy T it, it's, it's a, uh, I don't know, maybe I have to go rethink that. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, uh, so we have another segment here and, uh, we're talking about some big shoes to fill and, you know, kind of like I'm doing here in the host, uh, the host seat, I'm, I'm filling in these big shoes and we have some players filling in for Brees hall, Traylon Burks and Kenneth Walker. And, uh, those are quite the shoes to fill. So, uh, Andy, why don't you go ahead and start us off with Jarrell Brock from Iowa State, and he's filling in for Brees Hall. Tell us what you think.
2: Yeah, I think uh, we're going to see a theme with all of these players that we talk about here. But yeah, I'll start off with Jarrell Brock. whoa, Jarrell Brock. Oh, I was a, a six- I'm sorry. I I,
1: I did. I, I said Jarrell, My bad. <laughs> I honestly,
2: I don't know. You may have been right, but uh, Jarrell Brock, six foot, two hundred fifteen pound running back he was actually rated higher than Brees Hall as a recruit in the same 2019 class. Obviously Brees Hall won that job and dominated the backfield for three seasons. Uh, Now it, based on some of the spring reports we've been seeing, it seems like it's Brock's turn to carry the load there. Um, But like I said, it's been the Brees Hall show for three years. So drill Brock really doesn't have any stats to, uh, really talk about he only had 174 yards last year he did start the cheese at bowl which breeze hall stood out but he went up against clemson's outrageous defense and really didn't do much um so this is a guy that in the earlier in the off season i was kind of touting as a sleeper in campus to canton drafts Uh, but the more i've sort of been looking into his profile the less i see to like um He's not really efficient after the contact. He only forces about one missed tackle every six attempts. Uh, and he's not great in space with less than two breakaway yards per attempt. And his, as a receiving threat, he only had a half a yard per route ru- route run and a negative A dot. So I, I just don't think this is the guy Iowa State's going to be leaning on the way they did David Montgomery and Brees Hall for the last six seven years, whatever it was that those guys have been here. Uh, I am starting to come around on their freshman, Cartavius Norton. I think he gets some run this year. Uh, I do think it's going to be a healthy dose of Brock, but I, at this point, it's just, it's not somebody that I'm looking at as a Debbie player, which, you know, nobody really is, but uh, just based on, you know, Iowa state's history. I think it's something that we should talk about They've been so successful with the running back position, but uh, this is just not the guy that you want to be uh, putting your chips on.
1: Yeah. Uh, basically my notes said, you know, like I, he has every opportunity to take over this backfield um, and, and he has the size and, and the makeup that you'd want, but Man, you, like you said, he already got beat out. No, he got beat up by Brees Hall. Like, that, you know, like most people would, and most players would. Right. Uh, but, like, there's really nothing, like, it's not like he didn't touch the field at all. And there's nothing in his game in the, in the three seasons that he played that says, oh, yeah, this guy's going to take over the backfield this year. And so uh, you went with the freshman. I actually went with another freshman, Eli Sanders. I, I could see him mixing in at some point. Um, but, at the same time, I kind of think this might just be, like, a rough year for this offense, you know? And so, you It'll know, be. is it really going to tr- is it really gonna truly matter who it is? Um, I don't think I'm going to go too crazy, like, drafting any of them on, like, my C2C team, even in, like, the 40th round.
2: <laughs> yeah. I do like Hunter Deckers, the quarterback this year. As long as we're talking Iowa State, we're kind of going off script here. And then, obviously, they re- return the big wide receiver, Xavier Hutchinson. He's going to be a late declare, but he's a guy that, you know, he's a guy. Who, who might end up as like a six round draft pick,
1: right? Yeah, but I mean, like Brees Hall was basically their offense before, and yeah, I, I can promise you, regardless of anything else, Drill Brock, Drill Brock, whatever his name is, is not Brees Hall. We've already figured that right. out, regardless if, of his recruit rank.
2: And if he was talented, he would have gotten more run than he did. And right. I'm glad they that would have he, saved coaching, Brees a little bit. Yeah, the coaching staff, you know, they're giving him, you know, his telling him, you know, they're putting their faith or behind him or whatever you want to say, which is great. But I just don't think it's going to be like a 80, 90% dominator, whatever Brees Hall had last year. It's not going to be that type of
1: offense. And Andy's asking, you know, they, they've identified uh, good running backs in the past. You know, should we be look, looking at somebody for like the 2023 season or anything like that? Honestly, I don't think there's anyone on the roster that like I'm overly excited about. Uh, we, we mentioned two freshmen that you know you can definitely add. You know, very late in the C to C, you're never going to add them in Debbie ever. So, yeah. or at least you know, not until they do something. So it all depends on what you're doing and how deep your league is and all that. But I'm I'm not. I mean, I mean they're all three star prospects and, and like no one's no one's really standing out as like anyone that you're going to truly fall in love with.
2: Yeah, I don't watch like high school film or anything. Cartavius Norton definitely has the size of an NFL running back. Whatever you know that translate to, so that's kind of the guy that I'd be looking at if he starts to get some run early on in the season. He's a guy that is going to be on my radar.
1: Absolutely. So we have another uh, another high drafted player in Traylon Burks that that went to the NFL this year, and now we have Jaden Hazelwood taking over for Arkansas. Um, I've seen some crazy hype for Jaden Hazelwood. And I do not understand it. Like it just blows my mind. The dudes never the dudes never passed three hundred ninety nine receiving yards in three years of college football. And yet we're gonna, you know, get overly excited about him. I I just I don't I don't understand. Like he literally was in an offense last year that passed for thirty five hundred yards and he had three hundred and ninety nine receiving yards and he played twelve games. Yeah. Tell me what in that scenario screams this guy's gonna break out on this team. Like it just doesn't make sense.
2: It's just it's a, a bad case of take lock, unfortunately. So yeah, he's a slimmer Traylon Burks. If you, I don't even want to call him a Traylon Burks, he's not even close no. to that type of player. Apparently, they are going to line him up in the slot. I guess we'll we'll see how that works. But as I said, take lock. He was a massive recruit in the twenty nineteen class, ranked fourth in the country across all positions. Obviously, the number one wide, ranked wide receiver. He did impress his freshman year and then he was unfortunately injured most of his sophomore season. And then, like you said, massive disappointment in 2021, only 399 yards played in 12 games, Paltry 1.2 yards per route run. And his yak per reception is only 3.6 yards, which if you're going to be filling the Traylon Burks role, uh, you need to be more dynamic after the catch than that. <laughs> right. Um So, no, he can't be Burks. Uh, I don't think there's a Burks on their team uh, as it stands right now. Maybe, potentially, uh, Trey Knox, the tight end who was a converted wide receiver. He's played some slot uh, in the past. I think, you know, that's a guy I would have my eyes on as to potentially playing that role a little bit in that offense. But, honestly, uh, we talked extensively about the running backs, Raheem Sanders, Dominic Johnson, A.J. Green, and their running back, or their running back, their quarterback KJ Jefferson, who led the team in rushing last year. I think it's just going to be a, a running show over there. They're just going to be ground yeah. and pound. And as far as Hazelwood is concerned, he's cooked. I don't think he's a guy that you need to roster anywhere.
1: No, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, not saying that like I'm overly excited about him once again, but I think that uh, Ketron Jackson Jr. Uh, somebody that you could keep an eye on because even though he really didn't do much in his in his true freshman year he did average 20 yards per reception that was a very small sample but that just shows uh, just to put some perspective to it uh, Hazelwood averaged 10 yards per reception so yeah. last year in his junior year and on averaged 20 in, in his freshman true freshman season so if I was betting on anyone it would definitely be on and not Hazelwood one, although once again like I'm not overly excited about any of these guys and, and I definitely agree with what Andy said about it, it could very well be just a very high rushing offense and they just really don't throw nearly as much as they did in the past
2: yeah, I like Ketron Jackson too. Um he's definitely not a Burks either. He's he's a good field stretcher, uh, which is fine. And I think he could he could definitely end up being the breakout of that offense as well.
1: Yeah, and he's asking if it's a copy and paste method. I mean, they don't have another they don't have another trail on Burks on their team. So you can try to copy and paste all you want; it's not going to work. <laughs> you know, like I'm yeah. just, it, it, this Hazelwood's is one of those situations. just not him. <laughs> He's
2: not. Yeah, him. it's just one of those situations where they're, they're just not going to be able to fill that role. The offense is going to have to just look different.
1: Yeah, I mean that's why I, I definitely agree with your your rushing assumptions there. And then we have one more, and we have the fill-ins for Kenneth Walker. And regardless of how you feel about uh, Kenneth Walker in the NFL. He balled out, you know, in his uh, last date with Michigan State, uh, last uh, year for, with Michigan State, I should say. And but then we have two players that are kind of filling in here and Jalen Berger and Jarek Broussard. And uh, who do you think is going to stand out there? Or, or do you think it's going to end up just being like a split there?
2: Yeah, I, like I said, I told you there's going to kind of be a theme to all this. But uh, so, yeah, Berger. They're doing the same thing they did last year. They're grabbing a transfer portal running back. Uh, Kenneth Walker obviously came from Wake Forest the year before. Uh, So this year they're going with Jalen Berger, who comes from Wisconsin, and Jarek Broussard from Colorado. Berger has the recruiting stars. Uh, He's a four-star, but he never really amounted to much success over in Wisconsin. And Broussard played, I would call it admirably, for a few seasons at Colorado. Uh, And he he has a rapport with Mel Tucker, who was the coach at Colorado I think in his freshman season uh but Broussard is really just a plotter who can break the occasional tackle and Jalen Berger's profile really leaves nothing to be hopeful about either uh he was inefficient as a freshman and then he was dismissed from Wisconsin midseason as a sophomore I I didn't I'm not really sure what that was about um I think it, just it was off the it, field yeah it was off just, the
1: field I don't know exactly what it was but
2: yeah so as far as like NFL prospects for either of them is concerned. I'm out on both of them. Uh, I do think they're probably going to have like a mix, like you said, probably. I don't know what the split's going to be. Berger was kind of banged up in spring and Berger had to graduate from Colorado. So he wasn't there or not Berger. Sorry, Broussard had to graduate from Colorado. So he wasn't there in the spring but it seems like Broussard is probably going to be the starter. A guy that I have my eye on is uh, Davion Prim. who's a redshirt freshman. He did kind of take over that running back role in the spring. But like I said, Broussard and Berger weren't really there. No. Uh, so I'm not sure if that's something that you need to really – I'm just – like I said, it's a name you want to you keep in the back of your mind because – if he pops week one, you can always say this guy's a redshirt freshman. He just beat out these two transfers, and I do think that's meaningful. But uh, overall, I don't think there's much to get overly excited about in East Lansing as far as the running backs are concerned.
1: Yeah, 100% agreement here. Uh, I had Davion Prem as my uh, as like the guy that I would keep an eye on. Uh, like you said, he did stand out in spring practices, although, once again, Broussard wasn't there, and, um, and Berger was hurt. Uh, I, I forget right. exactly what it was. So, you know, it, it just, you can't get overly excited about it. And I'm not overly excited about any of them, but if anyone was ever going to be a thing, it was probably going to be Prim. You know, it's not going to be these right. other two. Brassard, like Broussard's actually exciting. And, and honestly, like, I think once it's all said and done, he might actually, you know, lead the backfield, at least to start the season. But he's just too small, man. Like, you know, like, I think he's kind of maxed out at this point, uh, even weight wise, because I want to say he came in at like five nine one seventy one 171 or something like that. And now he's five nine one eighty five. 185 So, you know, you already see he's, he's already gained about 15 pounds. <laughs> like he, when that kind of frame, you're not gaining much more than that. Um, so yeah. I'd say he's, he's pretty maxed out. He's going to be, he's not going to be once again, anyone that you want on your Debbie squad at any point. Um, although, if he did win out that job, like he could be somebody that you want on the campus side of a C to C, but we we really got to see him do something before any of that happens, but keep an eye on, on Davion prim, keep an eye on the backfield. Like somebody definitely could stand out when it's all said and done. I highly doubt it's going to be burger. He just hasn't shown anything, man. Yeah, I agree. All right. Then we got one last thing before we get out of here. And, uh, you know, it was a, ADP value, and I actually don't have the ADP, so I don't know if Lucas has that or if, or if you do. <laughs> I,
2: I didn't put it on the show sheet, but his ADP right now, as it stands on campus to Canton for Debbie, is 90. I didn't put his positional ADP, but okay, yeah. And so. so we
1: got we got him in, at RB90 and we're talking about Israel... Ebenconda? Abenaconda? <laughs> How the hell do you say that name?
2: <laughs> I, I, I say Abanakonda. I'm not sure. Abanaconda, Abanaconda. Okay. I'm not there we go.
1: Israel no, Abanakonda. I just call him Izzy. <laughs> Pit running back. Um and, and he's going at running back ninety in ADP. Well, no.
2: Just just straight up ninety. I'm I don't know what his positional ADP is. Oh, far. he's
1: going at ninety overall.
2: Yeah. Yes. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, I, oh, that I changes that everything. Down. I thought yes. he was RV ninety, no, no, and I no, no, was no. gonna say, okay, yeah. At that point, I like him. So right. he is he is Debbie Beth's RV sixty three. So that just show, goes to show how much I like Israel uh Akonda, or how the hell you say it. Um, I'm I'm not a fan, but it sounds like maybe you are.
2: I I am I'm a bit of a fan. He started six games for Pitt last year. Again, they had like a lot of teams. They were at a three headed backfield. Uh, They had Vincent Davis and Rodney Hammond there. He easily outperformed both of them. Uh, 3.6 yards after contact per attempt. Uh, He forced a uh, missed tackle, one out of every three carries. Uh, And he was – none of the RBs on that team are very great in space, but uh, Izzy was the best with 1.8 breakaway yards per attempt. And he was the best pass catcher. Uh, He he led the team – led the RBs, I should say, in receptions at 24. And he nearly doubled Vincent Davis's yards per route run, despite having only one more catch than him. Um, And again, he only had about a third of the team's running back carries, but he still finished with a backfield dominator over 50%. They bring in the former Boston College uh, offensive coordinator this year, Frank Signetti Jr., who did produce a 1,000-yard rusher last year in Pat Garwo. And I don't think anybody's too high or too hot on Pat Garwo. Uh, I, I just think uh, Izzy can, he's, a, he's an efficient runner. Um, he might not be the best. He's got the size though. And with a Debbie ADP of 90, I think I would, you know, especially in these Debbie depleted drafts where Debbie, these are four or five years deep. I think he's a guy that you should take a shot on in the you know, third and fourth round of a Debbie draft.
1: Yeah, I, I just I can't get behind it. He I get like I get that he he has the opportunity to become more, you know, if he gets more opportunity, but the thing for me is like the offense was already great last year. You know, the the they uh Pickett had what 42 touchdowns and six interceptions, whatever he ended up having. You're not going to have too many you're not going to have too many more scoring opportunities this year, regardless of like what the, the scheme is. Now he can get more touches. I think he only had like 123 touches when it was all said and done or 103 rushes. Uh, he might've had more than that if uh, with the receptions and everything. Uh, but you know, one of the things that I look at with um, w- w- with the Debbie model with Debbie Beth is like points per touch uh, PPR points per touch, and receptions per game is another one. Obviously, he has good size. We have all that. But then like one of the things that I really, really look at is how many big time runs you have. And a big time run is defined as a run over 20 yards. And dude had a 2.8% big time run rate. Like he's not breaking any any big runs. I don't think he's athletic at all um, or overly athletic you know, by any means. At best, he's probably average. And so, you know, you're, you're talking about drafting him in the third or fourth round of, of a Debbie draft. I think it's – and I hate – like, I, I, I was lower on Isaiah Spiller than, than most um, going b- way before, you know, in, the draft or anything like that. And people were talking about him being the first overall running back in this class, and I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, the dude sucks. And then all of a sudden he's a fourth-round pick, and it's a completely different story. And I hate to compare everyone that I don't like Uh, because I just got done comparing Tank Bigsby on a different pod uh, to Isaiah Spiller. But I just think it's going to be kind of the same situation where people overhype some of these running backs, and then they're just not athletic at all. They bomb at the combine, and then they're fourth-round picks. So he could take a a small step forward this year if he gets more touch because he has the size and everything. But I don't think that all of a sudden he's going to be this efficient runner or anything like that.
2: Yeah, I agree that um, his breakaway yards is just not existent. Um, I do want to just caveat I said, in a Debbie deplete, I wouldn't, if you're doing a startup, don't be drafting him in like the fourth round. I'm oh, like, okay.
1: <laughs> Thank God, because I didn't catch that part. Yeah.
2: Like, I'm saying that if you're in an older Debbie league that's three or four years deep and, you know, the, the pool's depleted, this is a guy you could take a shot on okay. after, after some of the top, top freshmen are off the board. You had
1: me scared for a minute.
2: No, no, no. Um, but yeah, that's definitely the biggest knock on his profile is like he in space, he's not really, you know, creating those extra yards. Um, I will say the offense is obviously going to look different. Keaton Slovis is going to be the quarterback. There's no more Jordan Addison. So it's not just going to be this, you know, run and gun. Well, I wouldn't call it run and gun, but it's not an air right either. But it's not going to be this pass-heavy Mark Whipple offense that they had a season ago. Uh, It's going to look a little different. Um, But obviously that doesn't change the player that he is, but it might change, you know, how much opportunity he gets and in fantasy football, that's obviously the most important thing is opportunity.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I get why you're excited about him. Like he, he has some things that, that stand out. It's just, I feel like the athleticism is going to kill him when it's all said and done. That's, that's basically it. And, you know, I, I've, I've tweaked the model to, to show me that stuff ahead of time. So that I'm not finding out when the combine happens because <laughs> that's the last thing I want is to find out that a guy's super slow as the combine happens. And I, and once again, I feel the same way about tank Bigsby. I think to do just slow, you know, and I, when it's all said and done, like he, he has some good attributes and he has, it seems he has good vision and, and things like that, but you're not going to be able to, break tackles at the line of scrimmage like you do in college in the NFL. And so, you know, there's sometimes where that athleticism does actually matter um, and you just don't have that burst or the speed, you know, it it definitely is not going to help anything, but we're, we're right around an hour here. Uh, I think we, we had some, some great talks here. I'm pretty excited about the, what we're going to talk about in the future with the conference realignments and everything. Once again, make sure to listen in um, on Friday at twelve thirty is that it for Saturday, Saturday. Saturday at twelve thirty Saturday So I'm sorry Saturday at twelve thirty for the Scott Fishbowl Podathon uh, we will be on there I won't be on that one in particular but the Full Tilt uh, Dynasty Podcast boys will be on there and uh, they'll be, they'll be having fun and it's it's right in between some pretty big names so that they got some big shoes to fill as well. <laughs> <laughs> so where are you all uh, working on? So I'll actually be on the pod-a-thon as well for, uh, let's see, on Saturday, Saturday morning at 8 a.m. If you guys are early risers, I will be doing the same. I might be a little uh, hungover from or possibly still inebriated because I will be doing a Scott uh, Fish live draft in Orlando the night before. And we plan on getting uh, fairly lit as we have a private room with a bartender in the room during the live draft. So, uh, yes we will be getting uh, rather lit as the kids say, and then we will be, and then I will be trying to podcast at 8am the next morning. So we'll see how that all works out. Uh, I, as always, you can always catch me on the Debbie devotional or the Monocle dynasty podcast. And uh, you know, I, I don't know. seems like I might be filling in here every once in a while as well. <laughs> so you can find hey man, me it's there. Been great. Oh yeah. I've definitely enjoyed it and uh, it's been great. Andy, thank you so much. Uh, you have anything you want to plug?
2: Uh, Yeah, well, I'm just on Twitter at A-Star FF. We're in like the doldrums of college football and just football in general. So I haven't been too active on there, but I believe spring practices, or not spring, but uh, summer summer ball is going to start up here in the next couple weeks for a lot of these teams, definitely in the NFL, uh, but also in college. So that'll be exciting to get some more storylines to talk about.
1: Absolutely. It's, it's kind of like the doldrums of no, no training camp in the NFL, no, you know, no spring practices or anything, no fall practices in, in college. So uh, we have some lulls here, but hopefully we'll be getting some new info and uh, we can talk about all that stuff here pretty soon. But for now, we're going to go ahead and cash out. See you guys.